Welcome back to the Chronic Fatigue and Burnout Recovery Podcast. Today, I'm going to be talking about post-exertional malaise. And if you are anything like me or anything like I was, post-exertional malaise was one of my biggest bugbears in my fatigue recovery. It was probably one of the first symptoms to creep in, although I didn't actually realize that's what was happening initially. And it was one of those last things that I really needed to deal with to move forward and gain momentum in my fatigue recovery. So I know the frustrations of post-exertional malaise very, very well, and I'm going to share today some things that you may want to be thinking about if you are as equally frustrated as I was, and things that worked for me, things that worked for clients, things to play around with and may work in general. But before I share all of that with you, I guess the first thing to say is what is post-exertional malaise? And so post-exertional malaise is an increase in symptoms which occurs after exertion. That could in some cases be mental exertion, but for the most part it is physical exertion or exercise. And usually it happens anything between straight after exercise to 24, even 48 hours after some sort of demand on the body system. What I found in my own fatigue recovery was that there was definitely a pattern that I would notice. So if I was going to get any post-exertional malaise after exercise, I might actually have an hour after I exercise where I would feel on top of the world, sort of running on all the fantastic endorphins. And then by about almost four hours on the dot after I finished exercising, that's when it would hit and I would tend to feel the symptoms increase. And for me, a lot of it was um, experiencing a lot of brain fog and fatigue and maybe some aches and pains, although it can be different for each person. Then there would be like a bigger cycle. So that was the small cycle, that four hour cycle. But the bigger cycle might just be like a build up cycle. So if I had been doing a lot of things over like maybe several days, then I knew I could just wake up one morning and I would just need a rest day. And that to a certain extent was easier to manage because it was a bigger cycle. It was less intense. But if I was going to get like the sort of crash four hours after exercise, that would probably be the the more intense cycle. I tried so many different things, so many different approaches to exercise. I was constantly trying and crashing, trying and crashing, trying and crashing. I wouldn't recommend it. But eventually I did get to where I needed to go and hopefully what I can share today in this episode can shortcut that process for you so you don't have to go through those repeated cycles of trying and crashing, trying and crashing. Exercise was such a big part of my life pre-CFS. I had been exercising, running, swimming, training in gyms, doing aerobics classes, spin classes, yoga classes, crossfit classes for more, for about 20 years when I finally became unwell. So it was such a big thing to let go of this ability to really have a great 
workout. And it was always the thing that I wanted to get back the most. And it was the thing that took the longest to get back. So I hope that this podcast today will help you to get that ability to exercise back sooner rather than later. Um, Because if you're anything like me, it's probably something that you are really craving. So the first thing to understand about post-exertional malaise is it is kind of like a a mini crash or a crash. So you could listen to the previous episode that I did on how to manage crashes, flares and setbacks because it is like a mini crash, a mini flare, a mini setback every time you get post-exertional malaise. And it's important here to understand that there are inflammatory changes that have happened in the body. There are nervous system changes that have happened in the body, which are self-protective intelligence because the body perceives that there is a threat. And it might just be the threat is that you've produced too much inflammation, too much toxicity doing whatever physical activity that you just did. Or it could be that there's an energy crisis, there's not enough energy to cope with the activity, that's sending the system into distress. So here, if there's mitochondrial dysfunction, that could be something that's impacting this um, post-exertional malaise. Or it could be that your nervous system is just really not feeling safe enough to exercise yet. And therefore, your body is responding with the post-exertional malaise as a self-protective shutdown so that you don't do more than what it can handle right now. One of the thing we, things we want to think about is... In fatigue recovery, we do need to exercise. Exercise is good across so many different levels and so beneficial to the recovery process, but we need it to be at the right dose. So if you are experiencing post-exertional malaise and you're trying to exercise, the first thing is to strip back whatever you're doing so that you are doing an amount which is tolerable to the body even if it's not what you want to be doing. I think a lot of people focus on walking when they first um, start to build up their activity and when I first started to kind of build up my walking I was doing heart rate controlled walking, keeping my heart rate in a certain zone and um, that was enough. But then over time, I could maybe add in a little bit of swimming and I worked out if I did a teeny tiny bit of swimming and then I bobbed in the water for a bit and then did a teeny tiny bit of swimming and then I bobbed in the water for a bit, I could you know, do quite a bit across um, about 20 minutes or so. But it was very, very slow going. So the frustration is that if you love exercise and you're used to being able to do loads of exercise, to do very, very small amounts is disheartening. But you need to remember that what you're doing is you're conditioning your body to get used to exercise so that the exercise is less threatening to your system and you're producing less inflammation as a consequence of doing the exercise because your body is used to it. So you want to find the minimum tolerable dose and then build up from there. The other thing that you can do is you can buffer your exercise practices with restorative practices. So what that might mean is if you go out for a little walk, 
and then you come back from your walk, maybe that's when you do um, a little bit of nervous system self-care, a visualization, a meditation. Um, sometimes I would just come home and do put my legs up the wall to slow down my heart rate, get blood flow back to the brain, and I would just do 15 or 20 minutes with legs up the wall. And when I was doing um, my walking, I would walk along the beach to a certain point and then I would just sit on a rock. I would do some breathing exercises, a little bit of visualization, a little bit of nervous system work. Then I would walk back and I would do the same when I got home. As when I eventually started doing weight training, resistance training again, I would just finish my resistance training with about 15 or 20 minutes of yin yoga to really calm my body down. And now even still, once I finish a workout, now I'm actually exercising how I used to, I'll still take a little bit of time at the end of the workout to do some stretching to bring my heart rate down, to recenter my nervous system. So that's an ongoing practice for me. The next thing you can start to think about is supporting inflammation in the body. To a certain extent, this is what you're probably doing as part of your healing journey anyway. So in the context, in the broader context, should I say, it's making sure that your diet is optimized. You're consuming lots of anti-inflammatory foods. You've got very stable blood sugar. Maybe you're doing some fasting. And um, then on top of that, around exercise, we can think about maybe adding in some anti-inflammatory support. So the type of support that I like specifically from a supplement perspective is glutathione. Glutathione is one of the master antioxidants in the body. So if I've done even now, if I do a workout which is quite strenuous, I might have some glutathione in the evening before I go to bed just to support my recovery overnight. The other thing I like to do is add in curcumin. So I really like the Nutri Advanced curcumin and I take a thousand milligrams as soon as I finished a workout. So that's two tablets after a workout, just to bring down the anti, bring down the inflammatory load from the workout. There is some research as well to suggest in long COVID that having 1.5 grams, so 1500 milligrams of L-citrulline and 500 milligrams of vitamin C twice per day can help with post-exertional malaise and exercise tolerance. And just generally speaking, I also like to add in some sports nutrition to my workout. So creatine, branch chain amino acids and electrolytes, I'll usually take those if I was going for a long hike or even a long walk, or if I was doing something a little bit more vigorous, like a bit of swimming or a weights workout, I would take those supplements. And you don't you don't necessarily have to wait until you're exercising like an athlete to support your body like an athlete would. I always say that recovering from chronic fatigue syndrome is like being a professional athlete because athletes have to, you know, challenge their body. They do their training for the day and then the rest of the day is about supporting recovery. And it's the same for chronic fatigue. We spend some of our day challenging the body so that we expand the capacity of the nervous system and of the different body systems. And then we spend the rest of the day doing as much as possible so that we can restore, repair, and grow stronger over time. 
A big thing you may also want to think about is what is going on in your gut. So I've done a whole podcast on digestive health, so I won't go into gut health in detail here in this podcast today. But remember that inflammation in the gut can commonly be associated with inflammation in the rest of the body. If there's an overgrowth of bacteria which are producing toxins in your gut, when you exercise, your gut barriers become a little bit more leaky and then those toxins will pass through into the bloodstream. That's going to contribute to the toxic load of the body in addition to toxic byproducts that may be getting stirred up from exercise. And remember that if there's any inflammation generated through exercising, that your lymphatic system and your detoxification pathways are going to have to process those inflammatory molecules as well. So it's a lot. So if the gut isn't working very well, then it's an extra load that is going to be contributing potentially to this post-exertional malaise. So if you're wanting to do more exercise and you have digestive symptoms, And remember that you don't always have to have digestive symptoms, but if you do, then you may want to consider, first of all, addressing your digestive health before you think about expanding your exercise capacity. Big one I wanted to mention was mold. And so this was possibly one of my biggest blind spots in my own chronic fatigue recovery journey. Mold had never really crossed my mind until I had been unwell for about three years, which is a long time. I was just getting so frustrated because of the post-exertional malaise I was experiencing. I would make a little bit of progress in my exercise capacity, and then I would just feel like I'd go all the way back to square one again. And I was so desperate to exercise. I was at the point where I could hike, I could walk, you know, provided it wasn't too strenuous a terrain, um, you know, I could walk for three hours even. But the moment I tried to do anything that was more intensive than walking or anything that was resistance-based, I would go into this post-exertional malaise inflammatory state. I just could not tolerate it. And then eventually I decided to test myself for mold. The test came back positive. I started a detoxification and drainage support plan. And within a month of starting that, I was able to build up my resistance training. And then as I continued to detox more and support my body more, I was able to do more and more and more and more. And it was the final kind of nail in the coffin, three years in the making, that um, really enabled me to get my exercise back to where I wanted it to be. And it was really important to me that I could resistance train because there's so many health benefits to having adequate muscle mass. Adequate muscle mass is really important for metabolic health. It's anti-inflammatory. It improves the, the more muscle mass you have, you're likely to have better quality and quantity of mitochondria, which means you have a more resilient nervous system. It supports just posture, it's anti-aging, and resistance training is really important for women, for their bone health. So there's so many reasons why I wanted to resistance train. And it wasn't until I addressed the mold that I was able to do that. 
I looked into it a little bit more at the time. And one of the mechanisms is that mold increases something which is called vascular endothelial growth factor or VEGF. And essentially what this does is it blocks the capillaries in the body, which ultimately prevents good blood flow and prevents oxygenation of your cells. And there's actually also a link here with the increase in VEGF in long COVID as well. That's worth noting. This is just one of the ways in which mold can impact exercise capacity and cause post-exertional malaise. But there's a few other mechanisms as well in that if you have a lot of mycotoxins in your body and you're exercising, that's potentially moving them around the body, mobilizing them, and it's adding to the toxic load that's maybe coming in from tissue breakdown when you're exercising. So we've got the poor oxygenation, poor um, circulation. We've got the toxins in the body, which are getting mobilized. We've got the toxins from exercise. And we've also got the inflammation that is being produced by tissue breakdown. And your body has to deal with all of that. And if it can't deal with all of that, it's going to cause foggy brain, fatigue, inflammation, until everything can kind of settle down and find homeostasis again. So by eliminating the toxins, whether it's mold mycotoxins or other mycotoxins, I don't think it really matters, but supporting the liver, supporting detoxification, reducing the toxic load of the body as a whole is another thing that you can do to support post-exertional malaise. And this is where in some cases sauna can be really helpful. Sauna is always a little bit of a um, delicate one because some people may or may not be able to tolerate sauna. I have some clients who can't even tolerate a hot bath. So the idea of going into a hot sauna is it's just a no-go. But if you can tolerate a sauna, whether that's 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 15 or, or 30 minutes, um, it can be really beneficial post-workout for muscle growth and hypertrophy gains. But for me personally, I found it was really great for muscle recovery. And if I was feeling like a little bit foggy brained after a workout, I could have a sauna and it would kind of nip that in the bud. So really, really great for detoxification. And, and you can obviously support your body around the sauna with antioxidants and glutathione and binders, but that's a whole other story for another day. But sauna can be complementary to reduce post-exertional malaise if tolerated probably was in the worst state with mold illness and I didn't know I had mold illness. I remember just trying to sauna would make me have post-exertional malaise. So we do need to trade cautiously, um, but if you can tolerate it, it's a really great thing to add in. Then another thing to consider is histamine, and this is where there is a little bit of an overlap with mold as well. Exercise can increase histamine production. So if you are already somebody who has mast cell activation syndrome, MCAS, if you suspect that you are quite histamine intolerant, then exercise could potentially be pushing your histamine levels in your body over the edge, and that could be responsible for some of your symptoms. Mold is something that can be a histamine trigger, but there can be other things too, like parasites, for example, dysbiosis in the gut, other infections, foods can send histamine levels um, up. So we want to consider 
here in this case, if you do think that maybe there's a histamine load in the body which is getting pushed over threshold with exercise, we need to really circle back and deal with the histamine issue, which means that we want to remove any possible histamine triggers and then support the body as much as possible to process histamine. And that could be looking at molybdenum deficiency or using things like quercetin or cumin, which are antioxidants, to reduce the, the histamine to improve the breakdown. And again, I don't want to go into the full ins and outs of histamine in this podcast because it's potentially a full podcast in itself, but also if there are any female hormone imbalances, particularly high estrogen levels, that can also influence histamine production, which might mean exercise tolerance varies at different parts of the menstrual cycle. So you could plan maybe your exercise around your menstrual cycle, but that's more of a band-aid approach. We really just want to stabilize the hormones, stabilize the histamine so that you can train fully across any part of your cycle. Then just a couple of other things. So oxygenation of the body is really important. I explained how in mold we get that increase in the VEGF and that decreases oxygenation and causes the post-exertional malaise. But anything that decreases oxygenation could be contributing to post-exertional malaise. And so here we definitely want to be nasal breathing with exercise. So Really, you don't ever want to be mouth breathing if you have a chronic illness. You know, athletes who are pushing themselves to very high intensity may on occasion mouth breathe. But for the most part, if you're sort of a regular human being exercising at moderate intensity, it's nasal breathing all the way. Then we also want to think about supporting the circulatory system and giving support to the vascular system. Here we have a compound which is called nitric oxide, which is a vasodilator. So it dilates the blood vessels, which means we get more blood flow going through and then better oxygen transport. So here things like beetroot, for example, is a vasodilator. The L-citrulline that I mentioned previously, which is shown to be beneficial in long COVID, can also be a vasodilator dark chocolate, berries, garlic, green tea, and then herbal supplements like ginkgo biloba or go-to cola can also be beneficial in supporting oxygenation. And you can go back and listen to the oxygenation episode of this podcast where I talk a little bit more about creating healthy red blood cells, how to test for that, and then the nutrients that are involved. Then final one is just herbal adaptogens. So these are often given for the adrenal glands, but they may also have benefits in supporting the immune system. So remember that it's the inflammatory load created by the immune system, which could be responsible for the post-exertional malaise. So if we can take herbs which modulate the immune system, which reduce inflammation, which support oxygenation or many other different processes in the body, this could maybe be helpful. So things like cordyceps, rhodiola, Siberian ginseng or schizandra, any of those could potentially be beneficial. In my own fatigue recovery, I would do um, cordyceps sometimes I usually put it in my coffee to make like a little mushroom coffee, a decaf coffee. Um, and that um, I would buy from O Mushrooms, um, which I'll put a link for that into the show notes for you. 
So that's definitely a lot to think about when it comes to post-exertional malaise. I'll just recap on everything discussed so far. So we want to make sure we're starting to find that optimal workload. How much can we tolerate, however big or however small? Then buffering that workload with restorative practices. So the nervous system is winding down and being restabilized after exercise. Then we add an anti-inflammatory support if appropriate. Obviously, we want those baseline anti-inflammatory practices in there. So diet, blood sugar, and gut health, and then putting in anti-inflammatory supplements post-workout if required. If there's any digestive issues, we want to address that. If there's any kind of lingering immune triggers like mold or maybe some other type of infection, definitely that's a priority to be addressed before we think about expanding exercise capacity. If there's histamine issues, we want to address that. We want to think about how to oxygenate the body as best as possible. We can use sauna for recovery or detoxification. And then finally, maybe think about some herbal adaptogens as the cherry on top. So that brings me to the end of today's episode. If you have enjoyed the episode, please make sure you've subscribed, make sure you share it with anybody you think it would be beneficial for, and please leave a five-star review on iTunes as those reviews help other people find the information too. I will see you in the next episode. <laughs>